Support for the show comes from Atlassian. With a new story about AI coming out seemingly every day, it can be hard to know what it all means for you and your job. Atlassian thinks there's a lot to be excited about in the AI-powered future. Even right now, Atlassian's AI-powered software can help you boost productivity by eliminating menial tasks, generating insights, and helping you find information about projects, policies, and processes. No matter if you're a team of two or two million, or if you're around the corner or on another continent, Atlassian software keeps everyone connected and moving together as one towards shared goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Support for Pivot comes from Pendo. Pendo improves the apps your customers and employees rely on. Whether you're building applications for customers or managing applications for employees, Pendo can help deliver better experiences for your users so they can get more value from your software. Visit pendo.io slash pivot to learn more about how your team can use Pendo to start building better digital experiences. There you can also check out Pendo's lineup of free certification courses, 12 hours of in-depth training for your product management teams on topics from AI to product analytics to product-led growth. That's pendo.io slash pivot to learn more. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Scott Galloway, and Kara Swisher has a cold. I'm Kara Swisher with a very bad cold. We have such really big news here, and I'm very serious. Yes, and if- Scott is getting a vasectomy. No, 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 that's not what's going on. It's related. It's related. It's related. So do you want to break it's the related. news or should I? I shall, because it is not about you. Oh, Incredibly, everything's about me. About Come on, go ahead. <laughs> no, uh, bring not. it back to me. And so, trust me, I'll, I'll be able to do this. Because um, you love my yeah, children so yeah. much, and because you always talk about how I'm a perfect yeah. parent, which I am, I've decided that it's a good idea, and of course I had nothing to do with it, that we have a, yet another child, my lovely wife and I, Amanda, are having another baby due in December. So we are four kids. That's what we're doing. We're being very inappropriate. And are we allowed to talk about the sex of the kid? Uh Sure. Yeah. Yes. It's it, yes. I guess it's it's a boy. Um, so I will have three boys and one golden child girl, and uh, the two of us will. And uh, I'm very excited. I'm very excited. I feel like only lesbians and evangelicals are having that many children, and except ours are getting vaccinated. I am so excited. And by the way, <laughs> of course, like every piece of good news, I have a yeah. nice emotional response. I think people like you and Amanda should have kids. I think that's good for the world. Yes, we have good kids. We have and good just, kids. I'm not bothered by your age because you're rich. And the mm-hmm. fact that this, when this kid's going to college, you'll be, let me see, dad, dead. you'll be dead. dead. <laughs> <laughs> that I think is the only <laughs> thing. That is the, I thought, you know, my <laughs> oldest son turned to me and he said, you were almost out, mom. You mean you Bane? almost out. Yeah, Bane, my 19-year-old, Bane. lovely son. Louis, literally, and you'll see him at Code next week. Um, he turned to me and he was literally like, you are this close to me. I think you lean in. There's a sultan of Brunei with 45 kids. You're the sultan of Wokistan. I think you go for like a dozen yeah, kids. Yeah, my other, my other son was saying that some men had, uh, he was telling me about, I think it was a Genghis Khan. I can't remember which one he is. He had like 300 kids. So I feel okay. I feel okay. I cannot have 300 so kids. So you know yeah. there's a decent chance I'm the father, right? No. 100%. Okay, so this is how. This this is a true story. Right, okay. True story. And again, because of your voice, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm Jeff, taking over there the was show. A, there was an item when my first son was born that Jeff Bezos might be the father. So that's got as much accuracy as this. But go ahead. Go, please. 
avail yourself. Okay, so true story, because I was an athlete for seven months, I had something called access to the athlete job board at UCLA. Yeah. And one of the jobs is I, you know, people say, follow your passion, the money will follow. Well, I found that for nine months, and that is, no joke, I became a sperm donor. Yes, I remember this. And me and two water polo players went to this clinic, Mm -hmm. and they took pictures of us basically naked, an IQ test, a personality test, and then also probably too much information. We had a VD test, and at that point, I decided I would rather die. Now they do hundreds of tests, just so you know. But go ahead. I would rather die of a venereal disease than have another VD test. Okay. I fainted when they gave me the VD test. And I remember waking up to a semicircle nurses thinking, How do we get to they're Scott's never going to want my fainting sperm. They're never going to want my <laughs> no, fainting sperm. No, they don't. Sperm. They're very strict now. Anyways, strict. I got called back like yeah. three or four times a week. And it made no sense because I went with these two guys who were better right. looking let's, but smarter let's than land me. this sperm plane. Okay. Right. So, okay. So, you know what I had? I yeah. asked the people at the clinic. I said, all right, why is my sperm like Bitcoin? Although we didn't yeah. have Bitcoin like that. Yeah. And they said, you have the peanut butter and chocolate of sperm donation in West Los Angeles. Can you guess what that is? What is it? What is it? It's such a disgusting metaphor you're making, but go right ahead. Tall and Jewish. True story. Okay. Tall and Jewish. And it put me through my junior year. Story's not over. Yeah. No joke. Put me Uh, through my junior year of college doing something I was outstanding at. Okay. And then my mom. (laughs) Oh, my God. uh, This is a true story. My mom sat me down and said, you need to stop. (laughs) Okay. We need to start talking about the Emmy soon, but go ahead. Because your kids could meet their brother and sister and fall in love. No. And this is totally unregulated. So there's a chance I have 11 or 12,000 children. Okay. So, if your son, <laughs> when you go to get its driver's license, yeah. is 5'10", 120, with bad acne, angry, but funny, but yeah. funny, yeah. and really good on a skateboard, yeah. chances are I'm, no. I'm your baby, daddy. No, it's too old. Your sperm is too old, and it was unregulated. No, you are not the father at all. Let me just disabuse everybody. Wouldn't that be nice? No. Wouldn't that be it nice? Wouldn't be, except I could sue wouldn't you for a nice? lot of money. No. I think that would make you know, us You know, I just closer. interviewed today Ann Wojcicki from 23 and Me, and we had a lot of discussion about I still this. don't understand what they're doing, except you're not supposed to do it, right? Because then people can find out if you're their well, dad. Well, you know, if they put it up on the internet, yes, if people do that. 23andMe isn't doing it. The people put up their results. So, you know, there's a site you can go to as a former sperm donor, and if you acknowledge that you want to be contacted, an email goes out to everybody. The problem is you don't know if it's two people or 200. Yes, that's true. My my sons found uh, two of their sisters this year through another one. Really? Yeah. They look just like him. Wow. We were joking with Louis about whether there'd be an, he would make an attractive woman one day, and the next day we saw a picture of his half-sister. She's very attractive. It was very funny. <laughs> this is life but with wanna, the lesbians. I, I wanna, so now I four finish. children. Okay, let's get back to Amanda <laughs> and me and the children. Yeah. No, I want to finish where I started. Okay. I think that the reason we're here is to create a better world through happy, yes. loving, secure children, and I think the two of you are outstanding at that. I, like all, I think all your kids share those qualities. So yes. well done. It's a good survey. Kara, I'm okay with you having okay, kids good. at the age of 78. You okay. and Tony Randall, I'm <laughs> okay, fine with it. Okay. I'm fine All with right. it. All right. I'm very excited. I'm, I think I'm four is my you. limit. It's great news. Um, if not, I turn into a like an Appalachian story. So uh, I am very excited. And I'm and is Amanda exciting. is the best parent. And my other kids are great. And I co-parent my kids with with a very wonderful person, too. So I'm a very lucky lady with all these you children. Are. I agree. With all, I would and, agree with you. And my fifth child, who is always Scott Galloway. Anyway, who is the most difficult, who is literally you know like the golden child is so much easier than you are in every aspect, just so you know. 
That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, thank you, Scott. I'm very excited. And may I ask Amanda's permission to say this, but we're super excited. So I may take a few weeks off during that time period, but probably not. I'll probably be Unacceptable. <laughs> Unacceptable. And by the way, the reason you are in this relationship with yeah. someone younger, cooler, and hotter than you is because yeah. you make the cabbage and the Benjamins. That's Just let true. me give you Fair a little point. let Fair me point. give you a little inside track on what it means to be a daddy. Fair it means point. you bring home the cabbage. That is true. So that no is time true. off. No time off. No right. time off. So I will see you at Code next week too. So we'll talk about that. That uh, is very exciting. We'll, we'll code. 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 Code is coming. Code. So um speaking of which, going to Hollywood, did you watch the Emmys yeah. last night? Did you watch them? Uh, I joined several hundred million people in not watching it. Yeah, um, there's a lot of not watching of the Emmys and the Oscars. They're all worried about that. Well, they should be. And not only that, it was essentially the thing that struck me. And yeah. The Hollywood Reporter had the best line on this. This was CBS airing its own funeral. Oh. Do you realize that nine years ago, not a single OTT show was nominated? And this year, wow. the broadcast commercial supported networks got one award for Colbert's yeah. election night coverage. Yep. I mean, it's literally, they literally aired their own funeral. Yeah. It's just striking how the baton has been passed so aggressively and completely. Yeah, except for, yeah, you're right, The Crown and Queen's Gambit from Netflix cleaned up. Ted Lasso and Hacks did in comedy, that's Apple TV Plus and HBO Plus, which does make a lot of TV. Hulu had 21 nominations and came out with zero statues. One thing that was disturbing is there was a lot of people of color nominated and it was Emmy so white once it, yeah. again. I think it was true. I think uh, Matt uh, Bellany wrote a great piece about this. And not just the Emmys, but the Oscars, all these awards. I find them really unsatisfying in the way I didn't used to. And I don't know yeah. what that is. I think it's because I, I don't mind watching just the clips. Like They have commercials and they're boring. Uh, Michaela Cole made an amazing speech. And, and Gene Smart, who won uh, for, for Hacks, did an Very amazing moving. speech. So just, and then they, they like take her off. They like were, it was just like, what, what, what's yeah. the point of these? The only thing that's cool is sort of the clothes, I guess, just like with the uh, VMAs or the Met Ball. That's kind of cool. But it also feels like another era. I don't know about you, but I, I, I don't know what happens to these. What, what do you imagine happening in, in the digital age with Streaming services sweeping all these times. I think we all go have a high ball at the polo lounge with James Garner and let every, you know, yeah. this shit is just so outdated. You literally feel older just watching. Yeah. I didn't watch it. I watch, I'm like, I'll find the funnest bits on Twitter. Yeah. I was trying to look for the second order of the meta theme effect here. And what it strikes me is that we talk a lot about income inequality. Right. But typically when anything becomes digitized and certain players attract a lot of capital mm -hmm. and implement technology, there's inequality or the Gini coefficient goes up and there's a concentration of power. And yeah. it's happened with content. There are 500 original scripted programs. Yeah. And basically five swept all the awards. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting because everyone's sort of bemoaning streaming in Hollywood, but I've never watched more TV and liked it. Oh, 100%. More. But the semantics of it have changed. One, people will no longer tolerate advertising because they don't need to. Two, the new water cooler is social. Mm -hmm. I've been talking about Mr. In-Between, and I talked about the White Lotus. And I heard from both networks saying, do you want information about it? Because the new, yeah. quite frankly, Twitter, it, people no longer talk about programs. It's their social graph. I think it'll be interesting to talk to Ari Emanuel next week at Code mm -hmm. um, and some others because it's really, it, it's changed rather dramatically. And they keep talking about 
streaming in Hollywood. I'm like, it's just entertainment. It's like when people talked about the internet versus as a separate thing. It's a, And I was like, at some point, it's electricity. It's just what it is. Anyway, it's an interesting. Yeah, but their business models are different yeah. in one group. I mean, keep in mind, the traditional cable bundle still does three times the profits yeah. of the OTTs, well, make but less. it trades for a third of the market capitalization because yeah. the world has decided both human and financial capital are running to non-ad-supported streaming. So it, it presents this really interesting challenge for the traditional guys where they have to change a jet engine while flying, and that is how do we make the sorts of requisite investments and content to keep up with these guys, yeah. while at the same time trying to hold on to our opioid-induced constipation ads. Yeah. So it's a very— It'll be um, interesting to see what David Zasloff, I met him, by the way, um, does mm-hmm. at Warner, because he's banking on the idea that, that that is the only thing they do, and they do it really well. And I get that. I get that. Something that was interesting is they lost, for the first time, Chris Nolan, who went over in a bidding war. I don't believe people were bidding for hundred some $100 million deal where he gets to release it in theaters, and it's about the making of the atomic mm-hmm. bomb. And I like him well enough, even though Tenet, like, whatever. Mm-hmm. But it was just sort of interesting that how they seem to be playing in an old school while acknowledging the new school. Anyway, it's, an, it's going to be an interesting time. Yeah, Zaslav and Zucker, first off, I've, I've never heard of a company with two guys <laughs> with Zs running them, but yeah. uh, the, the CNN Plus, yeah. uh, I think it's going to be super interesting. I'm super excited yeah, about it. We'll but see. these guys, so far, the traditional guys' streaming networks, whether it's Peacock, Fox has something, yeah. have kind of been a thud because if you don't go all in, yeah. it just doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't. We'll see what they do. We have to get to a bunch of things, but just so you know, your man boy, Beto O'Rourke, Hello. is expected to run for governor of Texas. Governor he keeps O'Rourke? doing this like coy thing. Drives me crazy. He drives me crazy too, that little hunka. No, not in a good way. No, listen. But current polling shows that Greg Abbott is a five-point lead over O'Rourke, even after the Texas abortion stuff. That's that's down from a 12-point lead. But in context, Matthew McConaughey is polling better than O'Rourke against the governor. Mm. Mm-hmm. All right, all right, all right. I would so like, I occasionally consult to a candidate on his communication strategy, and I'm the you kiss do? of death. Who? I am the kiss Who? of death. Nobody ever wins that I consult to. Lindsey Graham? Who? Who are you consulting? Uh, I, I, well, I'll just say I'm a big, I'm a fan of Senator Bennett. I'm a fan okay. of Andrew Yang. And occasionally they, and I, I don't want to overstep okay. m- my role. I've just, yeah. occasionally they're nice enough to call me, which probably means they just want me to write them a check. But anyways, I think Matthew McConaughey could just win with just one statement. What? It's a church picnic and daddy's brought the egg salad. Hello, <laughs> hello, hello. I mean- that guy, he will say absolutely nothing, and it'll sound very compelling. All right, all right, all right. Unfortunately, between him and Beto, yeah. it's like watching, I don't know, two Venezuelans in Miss Universe. It's like, okay, she's hot. She's hotter. No, she's hotter. Well, see, what you know what's going to happen? Greg Abbott's going to squeak in there. He's such a menace, but there you go. I would bet the good money's on him getting reelected. Mm, we'll see. Unfortunately. We'll see. we'll see. I don't know. They're very attractive candidates for sure. Okay, Kara, I'm going to slip into the MC booth here. I am Cedric the Entertainer. Okay, oh, no. time for our first big story. Russia versus big tech. A couple of things went down here. First, Google and Apple pulled an election-related app after the Russian government outlawed it. Hmm. And the app was used by Russian opposition candidates. The Russian government reportedly threatened Google and Apple employees with prosecution. Well, then. Also, Google pulled down YouTube videos and Google Docs used by supporters of dissident leaders Alexei Navalny. 
So do you think Google and Apple had any options here, or do you think this is just big tech continuing to say— We're not paying a lot of attention to what's happening abroad, but what's going on in mm-hmm. India and Russia and China, wherever they are, they're facing massive problems, which are almost opposite the ones here, mm-hmm. which are kind of interesting, where they have to really apply themselves to the laws of those countries. This has happened before in Germany in the past and stuff like that. But it's it's really difficult to know what to do here except not have employees in those countries, which complicates the situation. But every country is going to have their own splinter net, which is they, these – I don't envy these companies operating in, under these things. And at the same time, they look terrible. They look like Putin's puppets in lots of ways. What do you think? I think it's easy to be a purist when you're not running a global company. And the reality is global companies have to comply with the law, the domestic laws they want to operate in. And sometimes these laws are, you know, kind of the externalities of a kleptocracy or an autocracy, and they have a very difficult decision to make. And that is, do we want to engage and support and create economic growth for what are sometimes very corrupt governments, and sometimes even worse, we want to be vehicles for that corruption in terms of forking over data or letting them have our servers. They're in a very tight spot. I usually am not that empathetic or sympathetic to tech companies, but it's it's very difficult. I usually side on the side of the companies, and I think there's a political reason to continue to engage with these companies, and that is when companies – I was talking about international students with a friend, and and the bottom line is the easiest way to get into an elite university is to have an exceptionally wealthy parent from a Mm -hmm. foreign country and get your kid in by making a big donation. And that's a bit of an overreach, but I think it's largely true. But I still think it's a good thing because when people interact with each other, they're less likely to go to war with each other. So Mm -hmm. I think that when Pepsi went into Russia, I think Actually, Apple in China is actually good. I think it takes the temperature down of conflict because we have a lot to lose. And everybody understands the currency of money. And so before China you know, gets all angry about Australia and a submarine, they still have to think, well, well how gangster do we want to go? Because there's a lot of people here making a living from our relationship with an American company. So I like our American companies being overseas. And Well, I think – I think they have no power in these countries. I mean, that's the problem. What's going that's on right. in India is particularly because that's a that's a democracy, right? It's not like Russia where Putin runs the show and everything else, but or China yeah. or anywhere else. And what's interesting is um, in this country, of course, the right accused them of censoring over Trump's big lie. They were not censoring; they were cleaning it up. But where they can do things about it, they do. In the case of Russia. They certainly had very little choice, and and it gave the uh, Navalny people a. a a, a big focus, even though they didn't win United Russia, which is Putin's party, won rather handily, I think, but not as well as they did before. And I think they're, he's going to try to hold on to the reins of power, and that's via yeah. internet companies, no matter what. And they may be different in what they do in each country. And so they'll look like it'll be like a patchwork of solutions, none of which will agree with each other. Telegram blocked a chatbot used by Navalny yeah. uh, supporters. So what do they do there? They don't. I don't know what the people in fascist countries do because these people are going to control no matter. Yeah. And by the way, Trump would have done it if he could in this country too. That's right. So, That's right. I don't know. I, you know, I don't tend to side with the tech companies, but in this case, boy, is I would not want to. These people did not study for this test. No, it's a, it's, it's a tough spot, and I usually – I don't usually fall on the side of tech, but I think you got to uh, – I think they deserve a bit of a hall pass here because I do think there's real benefits not only to Americans 
pulling revenues out of these countries or monetizing activity over there for the benefit of our, our shareholders and our employees mostly, mostly. But commerce has been kind of the solvent or the neosporin for a lot of war, I think. I think we're just less likely when we trade with each other to go to war. I don't know. I think if one of them stood up to them, it would be quite a thing. I would like to see that. Well, Google, to be fair, Google kind of did, right? Sort Google. You don't think so? You Google know, said, no, we're not playing. Well, I don't, you know, in certain places, I think it's really, I just, there's no good answer here. Just like yeah. our next topic. All right, Kara, let's go on a quick break. And when we come back, we'll discuss Facebook's attempt at damage control. And then we'll talk to a friend of Pivot about, about mm, Peter Thiel. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from Atlassian. One of our customers who produces pizza at a very large scale all across the world. Believe it or not, they use AI to review the quality of the pizzas that are created. That goes through a workflow that scans the images of the pizzas and makes sure they visually look like what they should. So it's pretty cool. That's Sharif Mansour, Atlassian's head of AI. Sharif thinks there's a lot for companies to be excited about on the AI-generated horizon, spanning everything from making pizza to producing podcasts like the one you're listening to now. There'll be far more jobs created on the other side of this revolution. Instead of a world of less, Sharif envisions an AI-powered world of more. In everyone's day job, they're moving from doing the thing to often being an architect of the thing. It unleashes the potential of every human. And I think we can go from a world where few people have access to a high level of intelligence to a lot more people having access to this information. AI is really giving everyone on the planet more resources to do great things. And I'm very optimistic about that opportunity that lies ahead. Transform teamwork with the power of AI-human collaboration. Start using Atlassian intelligence for your Atlassian products like Jira and Confluence now. Learn more at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N dot com. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. But that's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Okay, we're back with our second big story. Facebook is responding to the Wall Street Journal's outstanding series on Facebook. VP of Global Affairs Nick Clegg says the journal, quote, deliberately mischaracterized Facebook's actions. Well, that's a shocker. Clegg said Facebook doesn't conduct research and then systematically and willfully ignore it if the findings are inconvenient for the company. That's exactly what the fuck they do, Clegg. Anyways, the latest reporting covered Zuckerberg's failed vaccine push and looked at the role of Facebook comments in undermining vaccine confidence. The journal reported that at a gathering of Facebook's leadership this month, some officials wondered whether Facebook had gotten too big. A Facebook spokesperson pushed back on that depiction as well. What are your thoughts here, I have Kara? a lot of thoughts. I wrote about it. I, I mean, his thing was called what the Wall Street Journal got wrong or what Nick Clegg got wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, it's actually, he's their company's smoothest operator, let's be clear. And unlike other executives who's been, who've been responding on Twitter, he didn't embarrass himself. But what he did mm -hmm. is he said absolutely nothing because I think probably he was sitting in his office 
And and he's gotten very close to Zuckerberg and others there and powerful. And he had to say something because saying nothing was a problem, right? And mm-hmm. it's not just one topic. It's like 10 topics they've sucked at, right? And mm-hmm. so one of the things I think that he tried to do was put confusion and obfuscation in, in a way, by saying things like, this is complex, and people are working on it, and Mm -hmm. we're not bad people. How dare they call us bad? That's not what the journal story said. So nobody is saying that Facebook is Thanos. They just didn't. Mm -hmm. But he pretended that they did. So he said, at the heart of the series is an allegation that's just plain false, that Facebook conducts research and then systematically and willfully ignores the findings, or the findings are inconvenient for the company. They didn't say that. They said that they make these calls, and they're usually made by Mark Zuckerberg, and he makes a lot of bad calls. And that's different. There's a lot of people. And then the second thing is he talked about cherry-picking pieces uh, and selective quotes from the stories. And then Mm -hmm. he cherry-picked a study that's favorable to Facebook. And then the last thing he did, which drove me crazy, is he did this. The jury is still out on whether social media is to blame. Like, it's nascent. It's early. And so we don't know yet. And it's it sounds so much like the cigarette manufacturers. You know what I mean? Like, nobody's saying they caused the January 6th attacks. People are saying they're part of the problem by letting President Trump do all these things. So he's a very clever man, and he got to this problem late. He's trying to throw FUD into this. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Well, that's what they do. They create their great series with Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant, and his defense attorney said, I create muck. You know, I kind of gum up the prosecution's case. And I think this all, I was on a panel this morning with Sir Martin Sorrell with Reuters, and he, we brought up teen depression, and he said, teen depression is complex. It involves complex. alcohol. It involves drugs. And I said, you're right, and we've regulated all of those things. Right. But one key component, or what appears to be a key component, where one in eight British girls are citing as their motivation for actually contemplating suicide is a company and an industry that we don't regulate. We decided that people under the age of 21 should not drink alcohol. We criminalized drugs. We decided that pornographic content should be age-gated. But yet this industry, you're right, it's it's multidimensional, but every other dimension seems to have regulators concerned about it. For me, it goes all the way back to the classified ad business. And that is the classified ad business was a monopoly. If you wanted to sell your 19... Um, 84 Honda Accord great car, which I had and sold, you had mm-hmm. to run a little $30 ad in the classifieds. Classifieds and papers had monopolies or duopolies, and that was used to fund outstanding newsrooms. And slowly mm-hmm. but surely, newspapers and specifically classifieds got picked apart, and then technology started garnering all the resources. And what have we had, care in the last 30 years? The number of journalists in the United States has been cut in half, and the number of PR executives has gone up yeah. sixfold. So the yeah, ratio of bullshit yeah. to investigative journalism has gone in the wrong direction, you know 12x. And Nick Clegg is an example yeah, of that. What's interesting here is when, when Amazon objected to that story the Times had, they had a detailed, detailed, you know, argument against it. And in a weird way, I respected it more. This was like, I don't know, a thousand words or less. I don't even think it's a thousand words. And he didn't say anything except, he didn't say anything. Like, that's what I was like. Sort of, so, so a lot of people are calling it a non-denial denial. Mm-hmm. I don't really know, but I was I was like, I get to the end. I'm like, okay, where's the def- – oh, it's not here, right? So what mm-hmm. we want from you, Nick Clegg, is transparency. Like, if you let, – let your researchers in. Let 
people in. Explain yourselves better instead of being so That's never going to happen. Like it, Let's send in Senator Klobuchar. We're not. <laughs> That's who we need to send in. We're not Thanos. Send in Klobuchar. It's kind of funny. It's weird. I literally was, I got to the end and I was like, where's the rest of this? Like, where's the actual defense? This, the journal thing was like a million words long. Which one, what's the, what, what are the selective quotes? Which are misquoted? Can you explain what you're talking about? Like, that's what's not in here. And I think it's just typical. They're like victims and they've been like badly treated by people. And why don't you love us for all the good you've done? So I, if he's going to bring it, bring it a little bit more. Let me, let me present a question to bring you. It. I've been thinking a lot about this. I mean, I feel like they've overrun government. They've overrun media. They've overrun communications. And resources have entirely flipped where the government used to show up with the biggest stick. And now it's tech companies where 44 yeah. states ask, have to ask Facebook not to launch Instagram for kids versus they used to just tell them. I've been thinking a lot about Michael Milken. Yeah. Okay. Michael Milken. Uh, innovator, became a billionaire, yeah. uh, was found of wrongdoing, and went to prison for 10 years. Do you think that Mark Zuckerberg or Michael Milken, who has levied more damage on the Commonwealth, um, Michael Milken or no. Mark Zuckerberg? I not Probably Zuckerberg. I don't know. Let me, uh, let me ask you another question. If Michael Milken were, were born 30 years later and he was the CEO of a super hot fintech company mm. and got accused of insider trading, but he was an innovator get out. and a billionaire as the head of a fintech company, would mm. he be sent to prison for no, 10 years? No. You know, I rem that Connie Brock book was so good, The Predator's Ball. Do you remember that? Yeah, great. It's book. the same bullshit. You know, it's anyway, we've got to get to our friend of Pivot, but let me just say, bring the evidence, Nick. Like that's all. Like do something detailed and specific mm -hmm. instead of this, oh, we're not bad people. We don't think you're well, some people think you're bad people. I think Scott does. I think there is a problem with the architecture of what has been made that it's impossible to fix. Let's have that discussion. They don't want to have that discussion. Anyway. Yeah, I'm hoping that Lena Khan and Tim Wu bring specifics on the antitrust case yeah, and that they federalize the Texas AG's cartel investigation, which has criminal remedies. That's who needs to bring 100 it. years from now, we'll know the real damage here. But honestly, it feels like cigarette makers now. This is what Mark Benioff said to me years ago, and I, mm -hmm. and I laughed at him. I was like, come on. So let's bring in our friend of Pivot, Kara, Max Chafkin. Max is the author of The Contrarian, Peter Thiel and Silicon Valley's Pursuit of Power, which is out today. What a thrill. What a thrill. We're, we have access to Max. I'm here. All right, Max. Okay, so first question. You report on a meal between Thiel, Zuckerberg, and the Trump White House where Zuckerberg and Kushner cut a deal. Facebook won't fact check political speech and the White House won't regulate social media. Sort of the unholy alliance. Say more. Yeah, and we've we've seen conversations about this going on. There's been lots and lots of conjecture and and I think actually quite a bit of pretty persuasive evidence that's that's come out suggesting that Facebook was trying its best to kind of cater to Donald Trump to to avoid for lack of a better word pissing off you know, the Trump administration. And there was this dinner at the White House with uh, Mark Zuckerberg and his wife, Peter Thiel and his husband, and uh, Jared Kushner and Ivanka and Donald Trump and Melania. And after the, the meeting, as I report in the book, Thiel uh, told a, a confidant that, you know, basically Zuckerberg had cut a deal. Now, I don't I don't know. Again, it could have been maybe this is a tacit deal or or maybe this is just a wink wink or something like that. I'm sure there's, there's opportunity for dispute, but at least Peter Thiel's understanding, you know, as far as 
as I know was that was that it was a deal. Oh, can I ask you a question? Because I know Peter really well, and I I met him a decade ago. Of course. He tends to exaggerate sometimes. You know what I mean? Like for his power, right around his power and what power he has. And in this case, he did have a lot of power with Trump. And I think he finds, let me just say, Peter Thiel is one of the smartest people I've ever met, like in Silicon Valley. He's so, he's so interesting in mind. I don't like everything that comes out of his brain. But talk a little bit about how he got into power there and whether, you know, he sort of wielded it in Silicon Valley right at the start with that crazy meeting that Trump had with them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, the, the, it was this kind of big mystery uh, back in 2016 when when Teal shows up on the, um, you know, on, on the list of delegates for Donald Trump, then speaks at the convention, then donates to uh, to Trump. And there was some dispute, right? Some people are saying, well, he doesn't really like Trump. This is some kind of contrarian head fake. Or maybe, he, you know, maybe really this is an expression of his, his um, you know, total value system or something like that. I, I think it's a bit of both. And I think it it, it did a bunch of things for him. I mean, uh, of course, it, it got him in the room with Trump, uh, you know, got him a significant role in the transition. And we could, we could talk about how, what he did with that and whether it was really worth it. It also kind of put him in a position, as you kind of hinted at, as a power broker, as somebody who can sit between Mark Zuckerberg, hmm. you know, I, I'd argue most powerful media mogul in the world, maybe in human history, and and the president of the United States. And we saw that, as you said, in the, that there was an early 2016 meeting with Zuckerberg and a bunch of kind of conservative poobahs where Teal's kind of right in the middle there. And, and that is kind of continued where Teal has sat in that power broker role. And I think you can argue about how much influence he's really had. Of course, Zuckerberg, you know, is the absolute dictator, more or less, of Facebook. So I don't, you know, Peter Teal can't force him to do anything. Although I do think that, and I think, Carrie, you've brought this up a a bunch of times. I think Teal has had a big influence on Zuckerberg's ideology, his worldview. And I think you kind of just continually see that in in sort of the the news that that comes out about Facebook, the things that Mark Zuckerberg says, and, and so on. The only thing is Mark is not nearly as smart as Teal. Like, I know that sounds crazy from someone who who doesn't agree with him almost anything. But one of the things he has is he's very smart. I don't know how else to put it. He's so smart. And I think his books are interesting and things like that. Again, I don't typically agree with him on a lot of things. But talk a little bit about why you focused on him. Because I think he's a unique personality in Silicon Valley in terms of disdainful of sort of liberalism does play a little bit with like there's such liberals here when in fact Silicon Valley people aren't that liberal, you know, actually. They're more like Peter, actually, in my, in my experience. I mean, I totally agree with you on that, on that political judgment. And I, I mean, I think he's interesting because, look, he's, he's, as you say, you know, one of the most important, if not the most important sort of venture capitalist. Of course, there are people who have more money and um, have had maybe maybe arguably better returns or whatever. But in terms of the kind of cultural impact and the philosophical impact, I think it's pretty unusual. I mean, just, just to take one example, which other Trump adjacent figures have come out super well out of the Trump administration? Like, I mean, how many other early transition figures, you know, Steve Bannon, Stephen Miller, the people he was really playing with, like, they have not come out super well. And and Teal, on the other hand, I think, has come out looking rather good. I mean, it obviously depends on your point of view and your judgment, Mm -hmm. but he's out there, you know, sort of making new political moves, you know, supporting these Senate candidates, J.D. Vance and Blake Masters, who are both kind of, you know, employees or ex employees. You know, they're really ideological extensions of Peter Thiel, I would argue. And so he's had this continued political impact. He's still on Facebook's board, despite giving Zuckerberg a zillion reasons to, you know, can him. So I think he's he's actually done very well, you know, obviously navigating very, very difficult and controversial period. 
Max, it strikes me that, uh, and this is a loaded word, but that Peter Thiel is genuinely misunderstood, not in the sense that people have more of a negative or a positive impression of him than they should, but it, I think it's difficult to kind of put your thumb on this guy or to get your understand the pulse of, of what drives him. He's obviously brilliant and arguably one of the best investors in history, incredibly influential, but really likes Trump, then doesn't like him. What about him, his complexion, his personality, what drives him it was most surprising to you? Do you think the public may not understand about him? Well, so one thing that I think is overlooked about Peter Thiel and is overlooked about many of these um, tech figures is to the extent to which like he's a really great marketer, right? Like yes. you can talk about Peter Thiel as 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 an as an investor, as you know, as as an operator. Of course, he ran you know he ran PayPal for a short amount of time. But where he's really been influential is is creating this kind of larger than life persona, Aura, and yeah, and that's agreed. that's Peter Thiel, the hero slash villain, the you know whatever the, the contrarian, the, I the think contrarian, right. yeah. That's right. yeah, yeah. And and I think and and what's what's really interesting to me is the extent to which I think he has been the architect of that. Like, I don't think it's been totally an accident. I think he, he of course, wrote that book and has been sort of very judicious in how he kind of speaks and stuff. Um, but he also has this kind of army of followers. It's not a conventional network. You know, you have the PayPal mafia of this inner circle, mm -hmm. but then you have these, you know, outer regions of it, you know, in, in terms of like Teal Fellows, these young people yeah. who, um, you know, get, get $100,000 drop out of school. And then there are kind of aspirants who are basically auditioning for Peter Teal's money, for Peter Teal's, you know, some piece of this empire. What's also interesting is a lot of people like Reed uh, Hoffman and, and others remain friends with him who are much different politically. And they, they're always saying to me, oh, if you hung out with him, you, I've hung out with him not a lot, but enough. You really like him, and they—he—he he does maintain those friendships. It seems like compared to some people who, are, who do get abandoned when they're considered conservative or Trumpy or whatever. Well, and I would argue, I, you know, I understand that Reed Hoffman and Peter Thiel are at opposite ends of the political spectrum in some ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Reed donates to to Democrats, and mm -hmm. and Peter is pretty donates to like the Trumpiest of Trumpy Republicans, but. I would argue that they have maybe more in common. Oh, me than, too. Yeah. Then yes. you know what I mean. Like it's true that like there are some disagreements, but I think Reed shares many aspects of, of Peter's worldview, and I think, like you said, Kara, earlier, like I think Silicon Valley as a whole is not as left as people think. It's much closer to the to the sort of teal libertarian 100%. stuff. And and yeah, they may, they're not all going to go all the way to you know uh, hardcore Trump support, but but I do think they they agree with him, and and I think they also just sort of they respect success, and and that I think that is something that should give people pause. I mean, I, I'm not sure that success is something that we should just like, you know, that 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 doesn't might doesn't necessarily make right, but but mm -hmm. I think among a lot of techies, they they sort of believe that at their uh, core. Do you have any sense for what he'll do next? I mean, it seems like he's he, – I'm half expecting for him to announce that he's going to build a rocket. I mean, he's got, what do you think is his next thing? Is he just continues to invest or – Well, so I think you have sort of two things going on. One is this continued political engagement. I mean, I think that 
you know, he's so he's donated um, 10 million bucks to JD Vance, uh, 10 million bucks to Lake Masters, sorry, pledged to their packs, right? So not a direct contribution, but but that's a, a you know, 20x increase of his political spending, right, in 2016. I mean, he's 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 definitely cranking it up a notch. And I think there's a, a, a concerted play, you know, the move to Miami, I think is part of this to some extent, but there's a conservative play to become the sort of patron of this far right populist nationalist movement that basically the Trump party, whatever you want to call it, the 30% of the country that really loves Donald Trump. I mean, I think Peter Thiel wants to cultivate candidates in that domain and 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 maintain influence there. And I think, you know, he's he's making investments. He's he's continuing to invest. And I think he's, I think, similar in some ways to the Koch brothers in, in the yeah. way that he combines hmm. politics and business, where it's like he has a business project and has a political project, but those two things are always connected and and they always sort of feed into each other, where you have the the politics, his his candidates are always going to be advocating. I think for positions that are you know gonna gonna help his bottom line and help the bottom lines of his companies, and then those companies kind of in turn are going to reinforce the the political side. So you saw you know just to give one example at random, but he and JD Vance invested in this sort of right wing YouTube competitor, uh, Free Speech Rumble. officially Rumble, yeah. And so hmm. I, I think you see things like that. I think you know obviously he's he's definitely got some interest in 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 crypto, although it's hard to figure out where exactly he wants to take that. So I think he's just going to keep on keeping on, keep on you trying. To- I think it. I think at the heart, I think he thinks. Trump's an idiot. That would be my guess because for to him, Trump like would it. be an idiot. Yeah. But I do think he hates government. Like, I don't know what else to say. I remember an interview I did with him at the time and both of us are gay and I was, I just had children and I was talking about getting adoption rights, you know, equal adoption rights. And he kept saying special rights. And I was like, equal rights. Like, like I didn't, I don't have the same rights. I have less rights. And so it was a really interesting discussion to have, I think, between us at a very early time in both our lives in a lot of ways. And it's just government he hates. Like, I don't want government in my business. I said, I want them out of my business, too. So get out of my adoption rights, right, that everybody else has. It was a really interesting discussion. But at the heart, anyone who wants to destroy government, I think he embraces is my take on the whole thing or get or, or minimize it to, to an extent. Totally agree. I mean, I think, of course, he thinks Trump's an idiot, but he probably thinks a lot of, you know, I mean, when, <laughs> there's probably an extent to which even if Trump were 50%, you know, more suave or something, he would still think he was an idiot. Maybe. But I do think that Trump, in a lot of ways, hits some of the buttons for Peter. I mean, yes, they're they're like completely different. I mean, uh, Trump is kind of a reactionary from real estate. It's an industry I don't think uh, Peter totally respects. And there are just a million ways in, in which Trump's crass kind of character, I think, probably rubs in the wrong way. On the other hand, Trump's entire thing is this idea that he's going to say the things that that normal people, that the elites are afraid to say. You know, mm-hmm. political, uh, you know, incorrectness, I think, was core to Trump's candidacy, core to, you know, the appeal for, of Trump for, to a lot of voters. And I'd say core to Peter Thiel's appeal. I mean, he wrote a whole book in the 90s called The Diversity Myth, which is like all about trying to sort of poke it in the eye. Of of mm-hmm. of the kind of left establishment, I, I think there is some genuine, you know, affinity between the between. Why doesn't the two he men. run? Why doesn't he run? That's, that's just exactly what. I, what would happen? Do you think he has it? Him? Do you think he'll run for office? No, I kind of think not. I mean, there there was. You might remember there were rumors in in 2018, which I I don't think he seeded of uh, that he was going to run for governor of California. I, I think hmm. um, that probably came from a maybe a well-wisher or somebody you know, wanted to be hired uh, to, to run his campaign. And so I, I think he's sort of more comfortable, you know, playing that behind the scenes role. I mean, he's not a particularly charismatic dude. I mean, he is in, in, in person, 
you know, Kara, as you say, he's very likable. You know, there, there are aspects to his personality that are very attractive, you know, and he's a good looking man and stuff, but he doesn't have that kind of charismatic, like politicians thing. You know, he stutters, he's kind of constantly revising. He's almost, you know, weirdly for somebody who loves, you know, bomb throwing, he's kind of weirdly too careful or something to be a political animal. And I mean, I think we saw it even during the you know, Trump transition. It was almost like the dog that catches a car or something, right? Yeah, he didn't He didn't seem to like the attention and liked it at the same time. He didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. Trump was touching him. Do you remember he was hugging him or whatever? And he <laughs> yeah, looked holding like his he was, hand. He looked like he was yeah. like, let me the fuck out of here. Like I could see his, I mean, maybe he liked it. I don't know. Don't ask me. But let me ask you a question about the story that was written about the $5 billion Roth IRA. It's so Peter Thiel that he could unlock in 2027. He saved all this money. Everyone's like, how dare he? And he, of course, is probably like, yes, I did it. Like, I tricked the government taking my money again. Right. Yeah, no, totally. It's not like uh, wanting to get out of paying taxes in a secret for Peter Thiel, right? That's the mm-hmm. kind of the whole point of seasteading and a whole slew of his kind of political activist projects are, are around, you know, tax exposure. It is a super aggressive thing that he did. I mean, these these Roth IRAs were created really for middle class and lower middle class taxpayers. They're not designed to be, you know, used by billionaires. And I do wonder if he got to a position at some point where it sort of got too big for its own good, where, where once you have $5 billion in that, and it's probably a lot more by now, you're maybe a target in a way that you don't necessarily want to be. And, and you know, talking to people who are in his network and stuff, that that fact you know, hangs over a lot of his dealings, a lot of his personal interactions. Like when you're in a position where, you know, <laughs> if things go bad politically at any point, you could owe, you know, I don't know, a couple billion dollars. That's that's kind of, he's got a lot riding on every, uh, every tax mm-hmm. policy conversation, including some conversations that are, you know, going on right now. You know, he's been depicted, I worked a little bit on the Silicon Valley show by two different people in that show. The one guy in the first season who I thought actually did a great job with the hamburgers and this and that. And then also this whole blood thing. Can you talk about that? Because, you know, this life extension thing, and there's others. Larry Ellison has made some investments in that area. Lots of Silicon Valley people do that. Can you give us, like, what's actually happening? Because it's easy to just call him blood boy. Yeah, I, I don't think, and I spent some time kind of trying to look into this. I, I mm-hmm. don't think there's a lot. I mean, I, the blood boy thing is satire, basically, yes. is, is going to be my is I my think he wants to look good. That's my whole thing. I, I'm sure. And, and not die and not die so quick. But I, and I do, I'm not even sure how big into this life extension thing he really is. I mean, he's, he's definitely, as you say, made some investments and he's made comments about wanting to, to fund life extension research. He's also like, you know, really into the idea of sort of deregulating the pharmaceutical industry and, uh, you know, stuff that kind of feels like more mainstream Silicon Valley stuff. But I don't know, I, I kind of put this in, in the category of like Peter Thiel, the brand. I mean, as, as like being the guy who funds the crazy out there stuff. I, I don't know that like it's, it's a huge amount of his yeah. time. And if you look at the amount of money he spent, it's really not that much. I so think he just likes to fuck with people. That's I think he likes to fuck with people. Absolutely. <laughs> so the thing that he first came on my radar was when he decided to essentially, he put Gawker out of business. Yeah. And a lot of us sort of looked at it, at least initially, I thought Gawker was, for lack of a better term, depraved, some of the things they did. And I was rooting him on. And then you start thinking about, okay, what does it mean when billionaires can put media companies out of business? Do you think there's any other company or media company in his sights? He strikes me as someone who, simply put, I mean, I think your book's going to do really well because he is, I think he's a fascinating character. And I also don't think people really understand him. So if your book sheds light on this seminal character, I think it's going to do really well. 
But he strikes me as someone who who definitely holds a grudge. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, who who do you think is in who or what is in his sights right now? Well, I you know I I talked to some folks who worked on that Gawker campaign, and as you said, you know you kind of almost have to separate the the specifics of Gawker with the kind of long term implications for for free speech and for freedom mm-hmm. of the press. I don't think he's got another press target. I talked to some some folks who were trying to you know egg him on and, and find one, and I think he, as, as I understand, he was resistant to it. Um, he you know he he wanted to you know grind Gawker and Nick Denton into dust. Check that box. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think when you look at okay, well, who's he beefing with? Google is, I'd say, a you know an interesting candidate. I mean, I don't think it's it's quite as profound as the as the Gawker thing, but he has, in all sorts of ways, been kind of needling yes. at Google, both with his public comments, with political contributions, and plus with proximity and kind of funding and um, encouragement to these conservative activists who have been you know making it their business to kind of mess with the tech companies. And of course, you know, was it two years ago he said that Google was like a you know bunch of Chinese spies or something like that? Yeah. So he's Definitely hmm. training the canon there. Um, and I think there's a bunch of different reasons for that. I think some of which are genuine, like genuinely ideologically, he he doesn't like Google too much. But also, of course, um, knocking Google down a peg is probably helpful to Facebook. It's probably helpful to Palantir. It's probably helpful to many of the companies in which, you know, Teal is, you know, an investor. And and like, like I said, I think it always works its way. It's partly ideological, partly kind of selfish. Yeah, I would say so. He's a really interesting guy. I was always like, oh, he's going to sue us at some point. And someone actually told me, no, he likes you. You know what I mean? I was like, no, he would sue me if he needed to at any moment in time. He's a fascinating person. I think it'll be interesting what happens with uh, J.D. Vance. Yeah, but the good news is you have an army that's beginning to look like the Navy SEALs called your children. That is correct. (laughs) We will deploy. You're very safe. All right, Max, the book is called The Contrarian, Peter Thiel and Silicon Valley's Pursuit of Power. It is available now. Thanks for your good work. Good luck with the book. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, Max. All right, Kara, one more quick break. Still to come, we'll tell Pivot listeners how to get into The Verge's 10th birthday party. What a thrill. And we'll be back for wins and fails. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels. But now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between so you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling 
wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Okay, Kara, wins and fails. What are yours? Do you have any or is it, is it, what's the deal here? Here's the win. I got to win. The announcement that uh, some of the early testing on children 5 to 12 on the, mm-hmm. on the vaccines is looking mm-hmm. good. And it looks like yeah. a lot of those kids, the, my, my daughter's too young at this point. Obviously, the baby isn't born yet. But that's really great news for a lot of parents. I know a lot of parents are nervous. And I've done like, we've done a COVID test already with the school, you know, because she had a little cold and this and that. So I think it'll be really a, a relief to a lot of parents who are interested in getting their kids vaccinated. Many, too many are not. I think that's a win. And a fail? Uh, I don't have a fail. Go ahead, Scott. I'll think of it. Well, first off, on your win, uh, word my sister, it is a state of chaos down here, as much chaos as you can have in our circle. We have uh, an unvaccinated 11-year-old boy in the entire second grade. You know, it's one person, one kid tests positive, and we fell into this cold comfort of thinking, and it was a false narrative that, oh, kids, don't worry about kids. Mm-hmm. And that's just not that's just not true. You need to be worried about kids. And to be clear, so far in Florida, I don't know if you say only 20 or 20 kids have passed away, uh, but this is really frightening. And uh, the vaccination for, uh, for a lot of us has been um, a real source, of, a real blessing, a real source of, of security and comfort. And to not have that across yeah. what are your most valuable assets is, is really, really stressful. Did you see some of the things they're doing in schools, though, now instead of quarantining kids, they're testing them. They're doing more testing um, in order yeah. to keep them in well, school. Well, testing is key. I mean, so, we, yeah. test, we test our 11-year-old every 48 hours. Yeah. My win is uh, my first day back, my fail was a lack of leadership on the part of President Biden to institute vaccine mandates. And there were a lot of good reasons, legal reasons. You can't do that. You can't do it at state level, at school level. And literally on cue the next morning, and I'm not claiming it's because of us, he announced a series of vaccine mandates, including the most powerful that any employer over 100 people has to vaccinate their employees. And immediately people were saying, oh, it might not be legal. And he said, have at it. And I think that's what leadership looks like. When we, FDR sent destroyers to Britain when it was illegal. We have invaded nations and killed hundreds of thousands of people under what most lawyers would describe as illegal. Gavin Newsom married you and it was probably illegal. He didn't marry me specifically, but go ahead. He didn't get married by Gavin Newsom, but go ahead. I thought you told me Governor Newsom married you. No, he passed the thing as mayor of San Francisco. I got married by, I don't know, the controller of the city, whatever. Go ahead. Hmm. I thought he married you. I like that no. image of like no. dreamy Gavin Newsom and you, no, you getting married. I, I wish I'd like that image. Anyways, no, sorry. that was going to be my Christmas card Maybe he could year. marry you and I if I can get him to come to the code. That's conference. right, because I am your baby daddy. <laughs> the dog you. is the daddy. Yeah, no. Come on. No, no. Come Neither on. is Peter Thiel. Oh, no. Great None skateboarder. Of not Jeff Bezos. Great skateboarder. No. Angry, prone to depression, terrible no. acne, Listen, but a great skateboarder. All right, your, your win is Well, on, my fail. Okay, my fail. My fail is, I think, I was really, and I'm curious to get your take on this. I was, I, I could not figure out my emotions when AOC showed up in the tax, the rich Bad. dress. Bad. And I thought, okay, she, she is exactly the kind of person that should be at the Met Gala. She's influential. She's fashionable. She's scorching hot. Not that I notice looks, and I don't want to objectify women, 
But the Met Gala should have ridiculously fashionable hot people like AOC. But I thought if a ridiculously good-looking, hot Republican woman showed up with a dress that said, no mask mandates, Mm -hmm. it really would have pissed me off. And then immediately, and that's not even my fail, because everything's been politicized. But the thing Mm -hmm. that I didn't like about it was that afterwards she got attacked and she immediately went to, well, there's always a ton of criticism around powerful women. And it's the same thing Tucker Carlson does, that when anyone criticizes him- Yeah, it was a mistake. Anyone criticizes him for saying, spreading misinformation, he immediately, his go-to is, it's the cultural elite and the Mm -hmm. establishment coming from me. And- uh, my my favorite comedian, Michelle Wolfs, described it as kind of this Louisville sluggering, as she would call it. And the Kellyanne Conway kind of invented it where you would say, okay, 26 people have accused the president of assault. And she would somehow end up within three seconds talking about how great America is. And it was like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? So I, I found that AOC- We call AI it a clegg, a clegg this week, but go ahead. There, there you go, a clegging. But I thought, okay, I didn't think that was a good move. But what I think made it worse was immediately wrapping herself in the sexism defense. And I don't think this was about sexism. She should just have owned it. She should have just owned what she did. And it was, I thought it was a bad visual. I don't, it's, I really am a big supporter of her, but I was like, oh no, I can't defend this. Anyway, I have a fail very quickly. Um, The Didi co-founder and president, Gene Liu, who I've had on stage at Code, by the way, many Mm -hmm. years ago, is going to step down and she expects China's government to take control of the company, which is its ride-sharing <laughs> company. The stock's down. This this move by China, they just did something else yeah, with their serious. version of TikTok. I think it's Doyen or something like that. They're, mm-hmm. they're just trying to absolutely control the tech industry. This is – I'm watching this with a lot of interest, I'll just say. I yeah, like Jean. I like Jean. She's also the daughter of Lenovo founder who is also getting uh, sort of – attacked in China and she's mm-hmm. you know she's from an elite in China 100% but incredibly interesting woman just very troubling what's happening here this is reported by Reuters by the way sources said so it's agreed that's that is super interesting and, and also disturbing uh yeah we're taking a listener question on Friday's show. As usually, want to hear from you, and I mean here. Record a question for us at nymag.com slash pivot. Okay, Kara, that's the show. Pivot listeners might like this. The Verge is turning 10, and they're celebrating live in NYC with an epic two-day event, October 22nd and 23rd. There'll be some incredible guests, immersive tech, and art experiences, all-day DJs, and great food and drinks. And for a limited time, we're offering our Pivot listeners $50 off a standard ticket. Go to voxmediaevents.com slash Verge for tickets. And enter the promo code urge to verge for your 50 bucks off. That's urge to verge, one word, all caps, no spaces. We'll be back on Friday for more. Today's show was produced by Lara Naiman, Evan Angle, Taylor Griffin, Ernie Undertot, engineer this episode. Thanks also to Drew Burrows. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. If you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify. If you liked our show, please recommend it to a friend. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back later this week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. Making money is meaningful. Being relevant is meaningful. Having friends, being a good citizen is meaningful. But it's all a means to the ends. And the ends are raising children with someone you love. That is profound. Today, Kara Swisher, you are profound. Thank you. And Scott is not the father. I can confirm that. Hello, Daddy. Hello, Daddy. Support for the show comes from Atlassian. Whether you're exploring space, making pizza, or producing a podcast like this one here... 
Chances are your team is marching into the AI-generated horizon. Atlassian Intelligence is unleashing a new era of teamwork. You can use Atlassian's AI-powered products for everything from brainstorming ideas to finding information to summarizing huge documents, all by using normal, everyday language. Atlassian AI-powered software like Jira and Confluence help teams accomplish what would otherwise be impossible alone. Because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. Learn how you can transform teamwork with the power of AI at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Support for this show comes from Vanta. Dealing with loads of spreadsheets, juggling different tools, and having to do manual security checks, it can be a headache to keep up with today's compliance and security programs. Vanta is the trust management platform that wants to simplify things and bring all your trust building efforts under one roof, making growth smoother for your whole organization. Vanta lets you automate up to 90% of compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more. Strengthen security posture and reduce third-party risk. Get $1,000 off Vanta when you go to vanta.com slash vox. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash vox for $1,000 off Vanta.